I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half, half as, as well, well, where we promise Tolkien lore half as much as you should like. Explained half as well as you deserve. Okay, we are moving on to episode six of the Rings of Power show on Amazon Prime. Yeah, we're really getting into the climax of this season here. Well, you could call it that. Yeah. Um, I wish everything had happened sooner. That's my yeah. big... I just want to start off by saying I can't believe we're only just now getting to things like what happened. Yeah, this episode here. has really made me take stock and look back on the past five episodes and be like, <laughs> wait, what was happening? Right. I feel like after episode two, we just kind of meandered until we got here. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad we're here. I'm I'm glad we're here, too. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've both watched the, the episode twice now. Yeah. With a few extra, you know, taking closer looks at, at different scenes a third time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to not be a huge hater in this episode of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we can trend to being a little more uh, critical, but... Uh, this show is just kind of getting to be a mixed bag for me. I was willing to defend this show a lot leading up to it, but there are just some things I really love and that I feel are very Tolkienian, but then other things that I find really frustrating. And now that we're getting near the end of the first season, I feel a lot more comfortable saying, actually, I do have some really big issues with this show. Yeah, I I have a lot of issues with certain adaptive aspects of it. Uh, I have a lot of issues with more so with the writing of it. I, I think there's just... A few things that like even this if this had nothing to do with Tolkien had nothing to do with like a, an established work that I am familiar with that I would be infuriated right by. yeah no for me most of my big issues are just kind of general writing and structural issues yeah. um I have some big issues when it comes to like the lore but um you know but that's like a creative difference thing that is easier to dismiss yeah somehow. and overall I mean not really it's just like a few things here and there yeah. um, um but we'll get into that in our likes and dislikes uh, let's first start off by talking about our rubric for an adaptation of the Second Age. Of those three points we talk about, the lingering of the elves, Numenor, and the rise of Sauron, we only, again, kind of hit two out of three, and only one kind of barely. Um, starting with Numenor, we see them first come to the aid of the people of Middle-earth. Yeah. Which, you know, we'll probably see that again later with the elves, hopefully if they're following kind of the general story of the Second Age. And also, um, you know, the Numenorians first came as like teachers and they helpers were like, of the men of Middle yeah, Earth. Yeah, they were looked at almost as gods by the men of Middle Earth. Yeah, I think it's described as gods out of the sunset. Right. Which I think is really cool with Muriel's like whole headset. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I thought that was just neat. Yeah, and, and I think we get to see that aspect of it a lot in this episode. We see what the Southlanders can scramble together and do is very piecemeal. It's it's extremely, you know, clever and capable. Oh, yeah. And they're really good, but they're more on the scrappy side of things. And mm-hmm, then when definitely. the Numenorians show up, they just way oh, nice level. Yeah. yeah. And I really liked at the end when they were all sitting down to a feast together, yeah. that kind of communion between the men of Middle Earth and Numenor. And I'm glad we've moved away from this whole like high man, low man thing we saw in some yeah. of the earlier episodes yeah, in Numenor. I think that was definitely kind of just setting the seeds for what's to come. Because I mean, Right now, this is the best relationship skit between the Numenorians and the right. men of Middle-earth. It's going to get a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought that was cool to see. But most of what this episode was about was the Southlands turning into Mordor. We get a little bit more context on Sauron, our mysterious villain who's 
been hiding. Um, yeah. So we learn a lot about Sauron from Adar himself, uh, who basically explains that after Morgoth fell, Sauron, or as he puts it, he who you guys call Sauron, mm. uh, which I think is very appropriate. Oh, yeah, because Sauron is kind of a slur that the elves call him. It's not what he calls himself. Right, exactly. And it, it's not what his followers should be yeah, calling him. It means him. the abhorred one. Yeah, so th- that's almost been annoying me about when it comes to characters like Waldrag being like, where's Sauron? It's sort of like, you wouldn't use that. Like, if you were right. faithful to the cause, like, you wouldn't call him that. But yeah, that's just... Like, I do like that at our kind of... Reference that a little bit. That. Yeah. Yeah. But basically he, he um, says that Sauron pursued the healing of Middle Earth and it's kind of vague how oh, he was oh, yeah. doing that, but Adar claims to have killed Sauron. Right. Yeah. I really like this conversation and we'll talk about that more in a little bit, but yeah, we just get a little more trickle of info about Sauron and I like that they're leaning into the, the healing of Middle Earth parts of him. I mean, this is what we know he was trying to do in the Second Age. Yeah, all about Um, order. And I, you know, I've been wondering how far they're going to lean into the repentant side of Sauron in the Second Age. If you look into Tolkien's letters and essays, he talks about how, at least for a brief, brief period of time in the early Second Age, Sauron kind of considered... I mean, truly trying to do good. And uh, it was only like the complication of other people's free will that causes him to get frustrated and kind of go down that path like to fall evil. back on, on his evil ways. Yeah. Tolkien describes it many times as a relapse into evil. Sure, he has yeah. this temporary turn to good and then a relapse into evil. Right. And so also the first line of this show was nothing is evil in the beginning, which was a line from Elrond in the council of Elrond discussing Sauron. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that they're leaning into that point of him. I think it's really underrated uh, totally. A lot of people just think of Sauron as the evil dark lord. Yeah, which is just boring. Like, I, I know I'm a uh, someone who's very, you know, into villains. But, mm-hmm. like, I also just think it's way more interesting when your villain has, like, real motivation beyond, yeah. I'm evil. <laughs> like, yeah. that's so annoying and boring. Yeah, just like the road to evil is paved with good intentions. And, exactly. I mean, I think Sauron definitely fits that build according to how Tolkien described him. And so I'm glad that they're leaning into that and not just being like, he's been evil this whole time. He's just manipulating everyone. And granted, he uses manipulation as a tool, but it's because he's, again, genuinely thinking he's doing what's best for the people of Middle-earth. Right. And I, so. I you know, I just want to encourage everyone listening to like definitely don't look at Tolkien's work as a demonstration of like black and white good and evil where everything's clear cut even Morgoth has like unique motivations for the the treachery that he commits uh it it comes from a a place that's not just like I hate stuff you know it, it becomes that but it it there's a different intent at first Yeah, I mean, Tolkien's world is not the black and white good versus evil that I think a lot of people, fans and critics, paint it as. It's everyone is on a degree of being fallen from their best state. And I think that's something he himself as the author was frustrated by when people attributed it. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I, I just thought that was kind of cool. And then also the first thing that Sauron does in the Second Age is sets up Mordor as his home base. Yep. And so even though this is Adar's plan, and we know Adar is not Sauron at this point, um, Mount Doom goes boom, turns this into the Land of Shadows. Yeah. So that's one step on the way towards, you know, Sauron becoming 
the Dark Lord of Mordor. Totally. Things are actually happening in this show now. <laughs> yeah, which which brings me to our likes. Um, <laughs> first of all, I like that things are really happening. Um, I like that plot lines are starting to converge. All the stuff that's been built up and talked about is kind of finally happening. I don't think we needed to talk about it this much before we got here. Yeah. So it's just kind of cool to see the Arondir storyline converging with like Halbrand and Galadriel and Muriel and Adar coming into all of this as well. And there's a lot of exciting action in this too. Yeah, um, I, I do think, um, especially on a second watching, I, I want to say that the stunts are good. The fighting is good. Nothing is too close of a camera shot that you can't see. That's a big problem of mine in modern action cinema is that if you have too tight of a shot on body parts, like you can't actually see what the fight is. Yeah, and they're just quick cuts. And, yeah. Um, um, no, everything kind of seemed like kind of taking a step back, taking the whole view in. Yeah, so I, I think... I have a lot of appreciation for that. I also think there's a lot of good horse work. There's a lot of yeah. like trick riding. Mm-hmm. Um, it works, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I thought the use of horses was pretty good in this episode. So big relief that there wasn't a CGI beast in this episode. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of orcs, which brings me to my next point. Adar and the orcs, not just the highlight of this episode, of the whole season. Yeah, um, totally. They're the one the one thing that has not let me down yet <laughs> in no, some aspect. I, I agree. I think that particularly Adar is just home run, knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And what I like about him is he's an original character, but he does have a basis in the books. Totally. Um, a, kind of who he is, one of the first ever orcs that were corrupted by Morgoth. Um, excuse me, they prefer Uruk. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I don't want to be confused with that uh, bigot Galadriel. <laughs> But no, you are, I mean, I guess first elf that was corrupted into an orc. Um, So I think that's really neat. You know, I thought he was maybe a Noldor uh, elf that was captured during the War of the Silmarils, but it turns out he's much older than that. Yeah. This goes back to like the first elves awakening way... Way, way back. Way back. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to think of a time frame, but... um, also, another thing that we know of in the Second Age is that Sauron wasn't the only servant of Morgoth around. Right. There were still several that were said to have escaped the War of Wrath. Well, in fact, leading up to Morgoth's demise, Sauron isn't necessarily the one like leading the charge underneath him. Um, well, and actually, like leading up to Morgoth's final demise, uh, from the time that Sauron is defeated by Huon in the story of Baron and Luthien, uh, which seems to have a place in this story because the murder of Felagund is like a huge motivation for Galadriel. Sauron kind of du- disappears from the literature. He, he dips out of the Silmarillion until we get to the Second Age. And right. so, yeah, what happened to Sauron uh we don't he's not leading the attack on the fall of Gondolin that's Gothmog the lord of Balrogs and we know he escaped the war of wrath um so I'm I'm like did he even fight that hard in that Um, or did did he just like see the way the wind was blowing and peace out yeah but also uh well we know Durin's Bane was the other Balrog that escaped but Tolkien hints that there's lots of other servants of Morgoth that were around at this time it's just that Sauron was the chief and the most important Mm-hmm. So yeah, making Adar this first corrupted orc that is uh, not loyal to Sauron and has an agency of his own, uh, but still being kind of moved by the will of Morgoth, I thought was really cool. And it's in keeping with the lore and um, he's just great so far. Yeah, something I really appreciate a lot about their portrayal of Adar is the, again, the complication of this narrative that we've all accepted about 
orcs are bad and they're totally bad and they don't deserve to live sort of, you know, Adar presents this separate thesis, which is sort of like, we deserve a home too. Um, Granted, he's willing to do all sorts of evil shit to get that. Yeah. But he definitely views the orcs as his sons and like, unique individuals who are not slaves to a, a master. Yeah, well, he mentions, like, we're all children of the one, like a Luvatar. Yeah. Um, and we even see him keeping with I mean, elven I'm, traditions, like, before a battle, planting yeah. Alpharin uh, seeds. No, yeah, I thought that was really neat, and I, I just love the whole conversation with Galadriel and seeing these two different perspectives on orcs. It reminds me a lot of Tolkien later in his life was really debating the question of do orcs have souls? Like, do they have uh, the ability to be redeemed since they were once elves? And like, he kind of started to lean into this idea that, well, all things were created by Iluvatar, God. So all things start out good. And then they, through their own free will, kind of fall. So like, is it really fair to like just doom orcs to just like, Mm -hmm. you don't get to like, go to heaven or anything like that. <laughs> right. So he started to like really kind of wrestle with this idea of are orcs, you know, also considered children of the one or, or are they just like mockeries? Um, kind of how we see in the Lord of the Rings movies bred out of the, uh, <laughs> the, mud. the mud and the, you know, <laughs> out of the evilness of the earth. So I kind of like that debate they have. It almost feels like Tolkien debating with himself over right. the ideas of the orcs. So totally. I thought that was really cool. I also like shout out to Gladriel for some very strong, speech. Love it. I'm I'm so here for scary Galadriel. Yeah, she was like <laughs> pretty pretty genocidal. I, I mean, the show was pretty much like, we're going to go out of our way to really humanize the orcs. And then Galadriel's <laughs> like, I'm going to kill every one of you like subhuman pieces of shit. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's okay. I, I know we just saw a bunch of orcs do a bunch of evil shit, but still I, I don't know. And I think the only reason I appreciate it is because up to this point, the show has been pretty, I don't want to say milk toast, but like this is just one of the strongest scenes that's happened as far as like yeah. the lines that are written and the delivery mm-hmm. and the stakes are just really good. Yeah, I, that's another thing I didn't want to talk about. I was really surprised with how many people they really just showed getting slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you really felt the dire need of the uh, the villagers. And I feel like in the past, we've had our heroes like Aragorn and Boromir and Legolas just chopping through orcs like they're nothing. So it's kind of really hard to feel like anyone's ever in any danger. Yeah. Here we just get to see people like, oh, maybe they'll get out. Nope, that person's dead. Oh, maybe. And yeah. then like, and then they're like helpless in that uh, keep and they just start stabbing them. And it's like, yeah, there's no escape. I don't know. The tension was very palpable. And I just really appreciated that in a show that so far hasn't had too much danger. And then there are a few other uh, smaller things that I like. Typically, I haven't been huge on a seal door so far, but there's just... Small things like him talking with Galadriel about the real Numenor uh, that I appreciated. Again, I want to see more context for Numenor and the faithful, which he obviously wants to join, but we haven't heard much about the faithful I just, or their ideology. So yeah. hearing Isildur being like, I'm loyal to the real Numenor, if it even existed. Um, he's got this idea of a, a more idealized Numenor, and I want to I want them to explore that a little more. Yeah. Um, so I liked that. There's a moment where, you know, they're like, what do you like? Uh, what do you think about this place, Asil? And he's just like, I like the mountains, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool, given that he ends up being uh, king of Gondor, mm-hmm. which is a, a mountain kingdom. And one last thing that I 
uh, appreciated was his friend Antimo. After the battle, they're like, "We're gonna go hunt some orcs." They're like, "You coming?" And he's just like, "No way." <laughs> no, I've kind of seen my share of battle, which I felt was very Tolkien, like very much in line with his views of the disgust of battle. I think it also makes war. sense for a Numenorian, you know, because yeah, totally. so much of their might is like theoretical. Yeah. To this point, you know, they. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like it, it, they clearly have a robust military and. Um, keep well trained, but training. Well, they haven't been the, at war. Yeah, they know. haven't been at, at war like ever. So, um, I, I think that's a really good. Yeah. Con- contextualization. It was a small thing that I just picked up on the second time around, but I was just like, oh, Tolkien's own views of war, and um, I thought that was really cool how through this made-up side character, we're just seeing a glimpse of that. The last thing I'll bring up for likes, um, and I'm bringing it up last because it's actually something that you really didn't like uh, or you feel complex about, um, is just, I'm. first of all, I I just have to say, I'm glad we finally get a kiss. Yeah. Between Bronwyn and um, and Arondir, sort of a long time coming. I, I wish it had happened earlier. It was, you know, a little underwhelming at the end. But, hey. I'll take what I can get. Like, thank God. Yeah. But all of that pales in comparison to this lovely scene between Halbrand and Galadriel. Oh my <sighs> God. Okay. Let me, let me, hey. Good. No, let go me, for it. Let me just like talk about it for a second. <sighs> let me acknowledge that I know that Galadriel's supposed to be married at this time and she's supposed to have a kid. She might still. You know, she might still. And that's know. honestly what I'm hoping for. That would make everything so much sweeter and better. Um, Don't you mean spicier? Spicier. I think that yeah. is what I mean. But I think that these two actors are absolutely phenomenal together. Oh, I agree. Their their chemistry is really good. They're and the lines. Good actors. Yes. Yeah. And the lines in this scene are some of the best of the series so far. I, I just think. It's amazing. Now, let me admit that, like, yeah, do I want to see them, like, smash? Absolutely. They're, like, two cuties, and they have, like, a will-they-won't-they thing going on. And, of course, I want that, and I love it. But let me just talk about the delicacy with with which this is presented to us. You know, okay. it's there have, been, there have been like these intimate moments between them before that are more just like, oh, a little sidelong glance. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, will they, won't they? But this, Halbrand, when he sits down to talk to her, he's not there to like confess his love. All he's doing is like confessing gratitude and a sense of belonging and it's clear that he's, like, not trying to do it to, like, win her over. He's just, like, having a true confessional moment with his new bud. And then she admits to feeling it, too. And that's where we actually get this little spark of, like, he might like her because he's taken aback. And they have this, they share this glance. And then it's fucking interrupted by this stupid soldier. And I hate that. But, like... I love it. I love that we only get this little tasty morsel between them. And I know it's going to end badly. I'm just so excited. I hope so. I want to see them burn together. (laughs) And then Galadriel has to tear herself away from it to, to, you know, go back to her old life. But I yield the floor. (laughs) 
Okay, so dislikes. <laughs> um, this. Oh, but it's no. so good. No, I see what you're saying. And I mean, if this was not a Tolkien adaptation at all, like I do agree. I think these actors have great chemistry. I think this is a really well-written scene and dynamic between the two of them. And like, I, I get it from a romantic standpoint as well. It's like, this is spicy God, stuff. This is so good stuff. Good. Just give me other characters who do this. It doesn't have to be them. Just give me someone else who's like a Ron Deere and... Bronwyn are way too like wife and husband oh, romantic. It's so boring. It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Give so, me something spicy. So another thing with like how Brandon Galadriel is since even just the trailers, when they were kind of hinting this romantic tension between the two of them, I was fine with it because I have no problem with how brand having feelings for Galadriel. I was just really hoping it would not be reciprocated. Like, just like, oh, that's cute, mortal. And then this causes him to go down a kind of darker path. And I still think that could happen, but I just was not a fan of... Once you're talking about binding of souls, I know there's nothing inherently romantic about it, but I mean, let come on. That's come on. not what he said. He's not talking about binding their souls together. He says the feeling that he has when putting his life to purpose by her side in battle. This is something you would say to your bro. He said, I want to take that feeling and bind it to my soul. And when I do that, it's very intimate. I can I I can face my past. Amazing. This is this is not the trite shit that I usually go for. This is so good. Also, to counter she is so alone in the world right now. Like, she and Halbrand are more similar than, like, any of the other characters in this show, right? She has been rejected by her own, like, kingdom. They were trying to get rid of her. She's told by both evil and good people that she's been marred through her own vengeance. Of course she feels good. She's, like, finally doing something. She's, like, finally fighting Sauron. She's finally, like, on the path that she's oh, been yeah. searching for and Halbrand's with her and he stepped up to the plate when no one else would. None of the elves, not Elrond, not Gil-galad, none of those fuckers would step up to the plate that Halbrand has stepped up to and he's giving her the the gratitude that she deserves from all of those bitches. Out. I'm out. That that's all yeah, I got yeah. to say. No, you you yielded the floor a while ago I'm and you sorry. keep popping I, in. I mean cuz just don't be putting disrespect on the name of this sexy moment. And I also don't want to be confused for a Celeborn lover. I, I still really dislike Celeborn. I really dislike Celeborn, to be honest with I you. I love the concept of Celeborn as a cuck. Like, that's, that's my fave. Yeah, no, me too. But not this literally. I don't know. It's just, it's, we'll see how much further they take it. This is already a slight toe over the line for me. I Wait, but tell the people what you wanted as far as Galadriel and romance to be. Well, what I would have really liked is starting off in episode one when they're like hunting in the north and all the other elves are ready to abandon Galadriel. And she's just like, is there anyone that will go forward with me? And then one elf stands forward and he's like, I will go with you, my lady. And it's Celeborn. And then the two of them just go off hunting Sauron together. That's the Galadriel storyline I've wanted this whole time. And I think that would also mirror nicely Finrod going, like asking his people, like, let's go get a Silmaril. And they're like, 
no. And then there's like 10 faithful men. They're like, we'll go with you, my lord. Um, so I think that'd be a cool parallel with her brother. But no, yeah, Celeborn's missing, which again, I don't mind. It's just, I just hope it's revealed eventually. It's like, oh yeah, he's like chilling somewhere else while she's hunting Sauron. And, um, well, and what about Celebrimbor? Oh yeah, well there's the whole love triangle too thing from the books, which I think is kind of out the window when you make Celebrimbor an old man. <sighs> Um, big bummer. And again, they don't have the rights, I guess, to Unfinished Tales, which is where that love triangle thing is kind of talked about. But I would have liked to have seen that. Spice. I totally agree. The, the, the Kella ships. <laughs> um, like, I want that to be happening while all of this Halbrand shit is happening, too. That's yeah. that's like the me level trash that yeah. I would like to see. Anyway, moving, let's, get, let's get out of the gutter. Moving on with the uh, dislikes, uh, I really just had kind of one big one in this whole episode. Overall, I thought this was one of the more consistent episodes and, you know, fairly good. But Halbrand being revealed as the king that was promised and <laughs> the immediacy with which he was crowned king, I found a little <laughs> hard to buy. It was very like, oh, cool keychain. Are you the king that we were promised? <laughs> and what, I'm sitting here like promised by who? Like we, we heard in the first episode, like the king will return, but like we haven't heard anything else about no, this. I yeah. And he's just like, sure. Yeah. Um, and then they're instantly like all, all hail the king. <sighs> William, this part. This was like, I think some of the worst writing in the whole show. It was. It's also uh, fairly consistently terrible throughout, like not just this moment. There are other moments that are like this in this episode. Um, and there have been moments like this through the writing of the whole show. Um, I would say like after, especially noticeable after episode two. What the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> again. Well, we turned and looked at each other like, are are you comprehending what's happening? Like, no. And it's like, okay, so I'm not like missing a scene. It's just, this is just totally, things are just happening right now. Right. And I know a lot of people out there are going to say, well, that's because he's Sauron and like, he's manipulating everyone. But where? Like, I, it's no. just, none of this has been explained that much. It no. was, I, I mean, going back to when Galadriel first meets him, he's like, yeah, uh, orcs destroyed my village. And then like, she's in the library and she's like, you're the king of the Southlands. And he's like, yeah, I guess. And then, <laughs> and then she tells Muriel, oh, this prisoner's the king. And Well, at no time do we learn names, familial lines, uh, which feels very un-Tolkienian. Um, like, in general, I love the concept of him being the heir of uh, maybe one of the Easterlings that allied with Morgoth in the War of the Silmarils, and now his people are cursed. And he's on the run from his past. And, but I don't know. It's like he gets to the Southlands. No one even recognizes him. And they're like, I would have thought at least people from his village. I mean, I guess his whole village was destroyed, but still, I, I don't buy any of this. And not because I think he's Sauron. It's just like, there's just no context. Well, and- I think what's so frustrating about some of these, what I consider to be like high gloss, low content moments in the script, which happen a lot. Uh, in my opinion, is that they're all lacking any type of specificity that would make the world feel more real or feel like we're getting some characterization of the people in the show. Instead, I'm sort of given these like hints of like, yeah, we're going through the motions of a feudal type fantasy show, everyone. So like get on board and 
shut your face up. Don't ask questions. Like, you get it, right? You get it. Um, which I feel really frustrated by. Uh, I think a lot of this is due to the fact that they're trying to make Halbrand a red herring for Sauron, because I do not believe he is Sauron. Well, well, I mean, even if he is, just this idea that season one is definitely this mystery of who's Sauron. So they're hinting these things, but then also leaving so many things so vague because you can't go into too much detail. Like if he's not Sauron, you can't reveal too much of who he is because then the jig's up. But I'm like, couldn't you and say that he was lying the whole time? You could. Um, Just to be more fooling? Like, I don't know. I I think my biggest issue is like the remedies to these lines are so small. Like all they had to do for me to suspend my disbelief is for Bronwyn to say like, oh my gosh, is that the seal of the Halbrand family? Or like, you know, something where it's like, oh, we've heard that before. Or like, oh, that that symbol does mean something. That is the royal symbol of the Southlands. Just like some little contextual detail. And then the biggest fucking problem is that he just goes, yeah, yes. Yeah, I thought he was, he's paused for dramatic effect. I thought he was going to say something like, um, well, I may not deserve your kingship, but, you know, I will try my best. We will together. Yeah, or like, he just says, I'll, ha- I'll yeah. be here if you take me. <laughs> yeah, he just, it's like so weird and oh. blunt and strange and like, and then they're just like, yeah, we accept that. No need to look at our own records or like I'm think just about like, it. These Southlanders deserve everything. It's coming. <laughs> it's I mean, so like. stupid. Um, uh, I just like, I, I couldn't believe that scene as it was unfolding in front of me. I was like, this is, I don't know. It's like, it's trying its hardest to compete with the Mithril thing for like worst yeah, scene in the show. I mean, that scene for me is really, it really exposes a pattern of uh, sloppiness in the script where we're getting sort of going through the motions around things and not actual details about anything and after this episode i felt like oh i wish that character had more screen time or that character had more screen time and then i realized i was like i wish everyone had more screen time and then i'm like well what's on the fucking screen then what am i what have i been watching for six hours yeah five or six hours been um again it's this idea that there's a lot of things happening and seemingly nothing happening (laughs) um and a lot of talking, but no context given to a lot of things. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I want the writing to be better next I, season. I think um, that something that you told me last night about like the show creators themselves announced that like, yeah, season one, it's not going to be very plot heavy. Um, they just we're said, just, we're, we're just introducing the heroes. Literally fuck that mindset. I think that is the most wasteful mindset when it comes to a communicative art and uh, every moment of a television show should feel like a moment I need to watch. Yeah, I don't like this idea of like, don't wait, later it's going to get really good. It's like, then, I don't know, why not now? Yeah, why not <laughs> um, Why not now? And honestly, what have we been spending time on? Um, petty little human grievances that don't mean anything to me right now. Yeah. Sure, maybe they'll mean something later, but couldn't we have introduced them later or like yeah. taken less screen and, time? And I like a lot of the concepts of what's happening. It's just the execution for me that's totally really lacking. Like, I love the idea of season one uh, all building up towards like Mount Doom's explosion because the slopes of Mount Doom is going to be where this show ends. So yeah. I, I really appreciate things like that. But again, it's just like how we're getting there. And this is 
sort of influenced like the actual plot that is happening in this season. For example, in this episode, we see uh, that the Numenorians are heading towards the Southlands. But a question I have is like, how do they know exactly where to go in the Southlands? And like, I, I'm just, I'm a little perplexed at like, how they get to there? I, I know oh, well, that the, the the journeying between kingdoms is another issue I have. It's just very glossed over, and people just seem to just appear um, when it's most convenient. <laughs> when in, in Lord of the Rings, such a big thing is all about the journey, and you know the the conversations we have along in the journey. And here it's like, nope, we're just skip. It'd be like if we just skipped from Rivendell to Moria, and then to <laughs> yeah. Lothlorien, and then uh. Then they're down in Rohan and then in Gondor. Yeah. And we're not really doing anything in between. It's just really strange to me. And it, it's like, okay, I can get on that. But like, at some point, I start having a lot of questions of like, wait, how long has Halbrand been away from the Southlands? Because when we first meet him, I'm like, oh, if he's like a king who's like deposed or has, has abandoned his throne, he's probably been gone for like a year or so, at least, at very least, more like five to ten years. I didn't think that he had just been like chilling in the Southlands and like, oh, last week orcs burned my village. That is not the story See, I See, that, that was my impression too. But again, it's just not clear. It's not clear. Nothing's, Nothing's specified. Yeah, Nothing's so. specific. And so it... it leads to this problem of like, I actually don't understand what's going on. This is another problem with place. There are moments in this show where they're like, we need to go check this out. Or like, I've seen this somewhere. And you're like, oh, cool. They're going to go on a little like journey to find that. And then they like turn to the right and whatever they're talking about is right fucking there. Oh, here's a mural of the sword um, <laughs> right next to us. Right next to us. Um, and it's like, wait, was there like a, was that a fancy shot? Did you move? places and it's like no it's literally right there what the fuck like yeah convenient <laughs> yeah well i think we should just move right along into the theories section of our podcast okay i wanted to hold an immemorium to fallen theories that have been disproven so one of my favorite theories that didn't really pan out and i i always knew it was a bit of a stretch but uh adar being maglor that's not the case. It was an A1 theory, baby. It was good. Thanks. Halbrand being Bronwyn's ex-husband and Theo's <laughs> dad. Obviously not the case. Definitely not the case. People um, were still like, oh, there was something different about her smile to him. Like, she, she knows who he is. And I'm like, like people, no, she doesn't. chill out. She recognizes his keychain. That's, <laughs> that's the important part. Um, uh, oh, that part. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so those are just a few theories that have kind of been now out of the bag. Uh, But speaking of that, this episode, more than any other, has heavily implied that one of our Sauron candidates is Sauron Halbrand. I don't, I don't see it. I, I, you know, if we're proven wrong about this, I'll take the L. Because I just simply, there's no fiber of my body that believes that Halbrand is Sauron. You see, I, I've been against it for a while, and I've been very pro um, the stranger is Sauron, and I'm just losing faith. And and I, I think that also because I think that's the best way to do it. I and, and I think Halbrand yeah. is a mistake to make Sauron, because I think we also then lose the cool character of Sauron. Halbrand. Or, of Halbrand, yeah. But 
the more the show goes on, the more I'm unimpressed with a lot of the writing and the more I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe they are going to do it. Maybe Halbrand is Sauron and maybe the stranger is just Gandalf. I really don't want that to be the case. I really want the stranger to be Sauron. And, um, but yeah, there's just like tons of things about Halbrand in this episode though, that they're really leaning into. I guess so. I, I think that it still doesn't like ring true to me. I, I think he's very clearly a man by Tolkien standards. Yeah. Like, uh, I think it's just more compelling character that way. I also just think it's way more interesting to have him, you know, take up the kingship of the Southlands and then Sauron become uh, a manipulator in that kingdom. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think, again, he's just a great uh, candidate for a ring wraith or even people have pointed out maybe the king of the dead men. Mm-hmm. Now that's in the White Mountains further to the west. But maybe now that Mordor has been... Blackened. Established. Maybe yeah. they will like lead some refugees west to where Gondor True. will be, and Halbrand will be the king there, and later betray a Sealdor, and be cursed. Um, I like that theory too. I I still want him to be a ringwraith. Yeah, and I like the idea that you know he was the king of Mordor before uh, Sauron comes to town and starts handing out rings. I think that could be pretty cool. Yeah. But what I one reason I really don't want him to be Sauron is that would mean that he has been deceiving Galadriel the whole time. And she's been buying it. And she's been buying it, which is one of the few things we know about Galadriel from the Second Age is that she was one of the few elves to not buy Sauron or his disguises. Uh, Like, she didn't know his disguise was Sauron, but she's like, I don't buy what this guy is selling me. I don't trust this guy. Right. And that is not what we've seen at all with Roger no, like, Halbrand. No, she loves Halbrand. <laughs> exactly. So, I I would really hate that just for her characterization if Halbrand is Sauron. And I just I think we're getting a cool kind of anti Aragorn character with Halbrand. Totally. That I think is just lost when it's like, oh, I was lying. I'm Sauron. So, I'm not a big fan of this theory, and I don't think anything's certain yet. I've seen a lot of people just being like, well, it's confirmed, and I'm like, no. We still have two episodes left, and I hope the fact that they're so heavily hinting it now is because there's going to be yet another reveal. I just, like, um, why keep such a mystery about it if, like, 90% of people by, you know, three quarters of the way through your season are going to, like, be convinced it's so one convinced, yeah. character? Who, like, there's a lot, I think there's a ton of compelling evidence I think why he's not Sauron. yeah. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I think really they're going to alienate and piss off a lot of people, no matter what they do at this point. Because um, they've kept it a mystery. I um, I still hate that it's even a mystery. Well, it's, it's just that they've left so many things so vague. Because, because if you go into it, then you can't really play up the mystery. But it's also, I don't know, I think there's a way to do it in which that wouldn't be the case. But I just think at this point, uh, you've made so many credible Sauron candidates yeah. that so many people are going to be irritated or frustrated well, and lose a lot of goodwill ex- for the show. Exactly. And I think the, the vagueness has been dangerous. It allows people like us who know what's in the lore to kind of play around in the sandbox of our minds and, and develop creative theories that are sometimes better than the show. And I'm not just saying that about our theories, but like literally people on Twitter who just kind of, get on this wild hair and, and chase down like a road that it's like, you know, it's never going to be that. Like it, 
you've just created fan fiction that is entirely more compelling that's, than what's happening in the show. And um, like, stop it before I get jealous, sort of. Yeah. But it also means that I don't think people who don't know the lore are like getting all the stuff that's happening. I like we have friends who are vaguely aware of Lord of the Rings and they're watching this show and they're just like, I don't know what's happening. Like it's, it's a beautiful show. It's fun to watch. It's pretty, pretty, but I don't know what's happening. And it's sort of like, well, shit, I thought maybe you would because I don't fucking know what's happening. Yeah, I was thinking like maybe because I'm so deep in the books, like that's why I'm like kind of like, I don't know about this. But so I was like, maybe casual people are really into it. But then I'm like, I don't know sometimes like who this writing is for, which is slightly frustrating. But yeah, <laughs> but if you'll indulge me for just a little minute back to my stranger theory, we can tie in a little bit of what we learned here. Adar says he killed Sauron. Yes. Um. Ugh. Well, knowing that he's a Maya, that would, you know, you kill their bodily form, their spirit still lives, and they just create, you know, a new body. It's like, is that what the stranger could be? Where he's just a, just as Gandalf the White was sent back and re-embodied after Gandalf the Grey died, maybe Sauron died and the stranger is who he is, and now he's kind of back to his original state as Myron. Yeah. Um, but he still kind of has this little uh, hold that Morgoth had on him. And this, like, inclination towards control yeah. to the extent of fascism. Yeah, we, which we've even seen a little bit with him and Nori. Um, so I think that could be really interesting. And maybe, I mean, obviously they're playing around with the lore a little bit. We, we know the only time Sauron, kind of his bodily form, perished is in the fall of Numenor, which hasn't happened yet. And in some text, it is when Huon, the dog, defeats him in the Tale of Baron and Luthien. So this would be a new addition. And if that's the case, then, you know, maybe the meteor coming down is like his spirit being sent back to Middle Earth. Well, and, and I really personally love this this idea um, because I, I think about, you know, I, the best comparison is, of course, Gandalf when he comes back um, as the White Wizard. And when he comes back. He's, like, on a mission. He mm-hmm. was, like, very much sent back uh, with greater knowledge. And right. he seems to have more omniscience when he returns. And it's because he's a good guy, generally. And and uh, he's helping the good guys in a in a quest that the Valar want to aid. Yeah. But let's think about, like, Sauron or Myron. If he's killed by Adar in this kind of moment of just, get, you know, another servant of Morgoth getting fed up... Um, but he's in this state of wanting to heal the world. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense that he would come back really confused. Yeah, totally. He's not on a mission that's approved by the Valar. Uh, he's somewhat lost to the Valar. They were expecting him to return to Valinor to plead with them and, and yeah. beg forgiveness. And all he has is that kind of primal urge that he started out as where he wanted to order Middle Earth. So, um, we see that with the fireflies for sure. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, so I, I'm still hopeful with that. I am feeling a lot like, um, Lloyd and dumb and dumber. Like, so you're telling me there's a chance. I am stalwartly in that camp. I will be there till the bitter end until I literally see Halbrand crafting the rings of power and, uh, (laughs) like fully becoming Lord Sauron. I will not believe that he's Sauron. Will you take a blood oath with me that we are we are sticking true to the stranger is Sauron? Yeah, like literally until someone else is called Anatar or Sauron, I am not 
going to fucking just think that Halbrand is because all of the the big hints of the show and the musical score are telling me to. I, I just don't bow believe to it. all this bait. Huh? No, absolutely not. Like I just I just think it's it's too obvious. Yeah, and that's the thing too is like if you're having a season focused around the mystery of Sauron, you're really going to go with the one you've been hitting people over the head with. That's yeah, it, your reveal. That would be very lame to me. It just um, yeah, it would suck. And um I don't know. I I think we get a much more complex storyline that could last 5 fucking seasons if he's not Sauron, right? Cuz yeah. if he's Sauron, I mean, he's already at Mordor and let's go, baby, you know? Um yeah. but I think if he's not, then we're going to get to see like the buildup of the Southland kingdom as like a legitimate place. And and then we're going to see the fall. Yeah. And I'd like to see like the buildup of like other mannish kingdoms and then sort of this league of maybe nine kingdoms. And then uh, here comes this guy uh, dishing out rings. Totally. Um, I think that'd be cool. Beautiful. Well, anyway, that's all I've got. Yeah. For now. Um, I do just want to say the silliest part of this episode is when Galadriel's asking Elendil about the death of his wife and he like kind of goes on this little you know poetic rant and then he just says she drowned and walks away if we re- just reverse those two lines it becomes like a very heartfelt it's solemn like she moment she drowned and then you know it's strange when i look at the sunset yeah. you know like then it's like oh he feels like he's going instead into instead i was trying okay. hard not Oh, to I laugh just, at this man's pain. I just burst out laughing every time. Also, another silly moment, the orc <laughs> eye bleeding into her Ron Deere's mouth. What the oh. fuck? That's someone's kink. Like, who that went made on way that? too It was long. so, like, a little bit? Okay, sure. Scary. Ooh, spooky. Gory. Okay, it's still um, happening? It was like 30 seconds long. <laughs> what yeah, the fuck? I, I didn't need all that. I don't know. I, um, I just, I don't. If you haven't already... Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Half As Well Pod. I'm Sage. And I'm William. And this is Half Half As As Well. Well.